Christians across the world generally recognize Easter as the high point in their calendar or the, the climax in this church year. But what I find interesting is that the church as a whole makes such a big deal out of Easter as they should and about the resurrection, but they heavily avoid what happens after the resurrection. See, Jesus was on earth for 40 days after he resurrected from the dead. And, and many of us seem to, to fall into this idea that as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, he went straight to heaven. But that's not true. He, he made himself known to his followers and to the people in Jerusalem after he was resurrected. So today we're going to take a look at, at something that happened directly after the resurrection of Jesus. Since it's the week after, uh, after the celebration of Easter, we'll look at uh, a story that we find in Luke chapter 24. Now, early Sunday morning, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, um, Mary, Martha, and a woman named Joanna woke up very early, and they, they prepared uh, spices and perfume that they were going to anoint the body of Jesus with. Now, before we give them too much credit, uh, they weren't going to visit the tomb because they anticipated seeing a resurrected Jesus. They, they, they hadn't listened quite closely enough to Jesus when he was with them prior to his death. They didn't listen to the words that he had prophesied about himself. They didn't listen to the promise that he would be risen from the dead. So instead, as they walked to the tomb, they were in despair. They still had that same heavy burden, that sorrow that had been with them since the crucifixion on Friday. And they were expecting to approach the tomb and to see a Jesus that was still dead inside. But as they approached the tomb, Luke chapter 24 tells us that the first thing that they saw was the stone that had been rolled away. So rather, this was kind of another chance for them to, to realize, oh my goodness, Jesus resurrected, it's as he said, but instead they, the first thing that they think is, who stole the body? Who stole the body of Jesus? What, what happened here? And they approach and they're looking inside and they don't see Jesus and they're beginning to, to start to worry because his body was the last thing that they could attach to. They thought that he was gone, but at least they had his body and now that was gone. So they exit the tomb and they're looking around trying to find evidence of who took the body. And Luke chapter 24 tells us that they were met by these two men who were clothed in white, who we believe to be angels. And they said something very profound. They said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is risen. So the women are, are, are conflicted because they have these men telling them one thing. Obviously, they have their, their, their realistic side telling them another thing. So they run back down the hill to their house, and they tell the disciples and the others everything that had happened. They said, look, we woke up early. You guys were still asleep. We had planned to go, to, to go anoint the body of Jesus, and we came and we saw an empty tomb. And, and when we came back out, there were these two men in white that told us, that he had risen. What do you guys think? We, let's talk about this. And Peter, as, as is accustomed to, to Peter, he doesn't believe anything that he hears, so he says, no, I've got to see this for myself. So he runs up back the hill at full speed, 
uh, and goes and sees this empty tomb, as these women had told them. And he comes back down, and, and they're all talking, and they're debating. Um, and, and one says, oh, you know, it, it must have been the tax collectors. They must have stolen him. Or it must have been the centurions. They're trying to uh, avoid another, another uh, riot, so they must have stolen his body. And then there's one that says, what if, what if what Jesus said was true? What if he actually rose from the dead? No, no, that can't be right. That can't be right. We, we have to find some answers. And there are two of them uh, who were planning to go on a journey that day uh, to a, a, a local or a nearby city named Emmaus. It was about seven miles away from Jerusalem. So obviously the two that were going on the journey, one of whom the Bible tells us is Cleopas, were under the impression that Jesus had not, in fact, risen from the dead. Because if they had believed that Jesus rose from the dead, they would have stayed in the heart of Jerusalem waiting to see him. But they had moved on with their lives. And in Luke chapter 24, you can turn with me if you'd like to verse 13. It will also be on the screen for your convenience. It says, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So as we had said, they, they left Jerusalem where these events had transpired. And they had all but given up on Jesus and on the promises that he had shared with them. But what I find very, very intriguing about this passage is that they forsook their faith in Jesus, but what does Jesus do? He comes after them. Jesus chases after them in spite of their doubts, in spite of their decisions, in spite of the fact that they've made clear that they have moved on. Jesus chases after them. And how many times in our lives can you and I relate to, to, to a circumstance or something that has, has made us reconsider this Jesus thing where we, where we pursue maybe uh, a bad relationship or we pursue a, uh, maybe a, a lifestyle choice that, that walks away from Jesus? But wh what have we found time and time again when we, when we choose these selfish decisions? Jesus chases after us. But what's interesting also about this this initial part of this passage is that though Jesus chased after them, because they were so solidified and so stuck in their own ways and their own decisions, they did not recognize him. Many times when we, when we make these selfish choices for our own personal gain or for our own satisfaction that are clearly different than what we know the will of God to be, it takes us a long time to recognize that Jesus is right there beside us. And the same thing happened with these disciples. They had walked away, they'd gone their own direction, and Jesus was right beside them, just as he is right beside us through every bad decision that we make. But sometimes our decisions blind us from seeing that Jesus is always there. I love this verse in Hebrews that says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for so by doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This is a reminder to us that God uses people and he uses things in our lives to show us who he is. God puts people into our lives as reminders of his love, his grace, his salvation, his plan for us. And as I was looking at these verses, I, I couldn't help but immediately think of someone like Kurt Mountain. 
who was in our church for years as a light. Kurt was probably the closest I have ever seen to an angel on this earth. Someone who not only talked the talk about his faith, but somebody who walked on a daily basis. Somebody who was so close to God that when you, that when you spent time with him, you couldn't help but desire the faith that he had. Somebody who, who, who was able to show us clearly this picture of God. And I think God is intentional about placing people in our lives that we can look at and say, thank you, God. I, I know that you are with me because it's been evidenced in the way that I've seen this person act, or it's been evidenced in this circumstance. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says the, the familiar words that this church has embraced and loved. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And we often look at this verse and, and, and we correctly look at the burden that we have as Christians to go and make a difference in our world. But something that I think that we neglect from this verse is to realize that we can see Jesus through the lives of other people. And sometimes it's surprising to us because there, is, there are things that we can learn from others that we would least expect to learn from. We should be humble in the way that we approach our relationships. And, and I love the way that 1 Corinthians talks about the body of Christ. You have this idea that there are, are many different people, many different cultures, many different backgrounds and lifestyles, but yet we all have a contribution to make not only to the kingdom in our actions, but also to this portrait of God in our understanding. Talk to anybody that, that, that goes to You Matter, the, the ministry of the homeless feeding that we're doing right now. When you have these conversations with these people who, who are on the streets, they're, they're living without homes, oftentimes without food, not knowing where their family is, not knowing where their next meal will come from. But you talk to them and, and you realize that God has been speaking to them. God has been using their journeys. And, and when we talk to these people, sometimes they, they embrace the truth more than we do more than we do when we're in our comfort zone and in our pews, they have, they have tasted the grace of God. They have tasted him in a way that only their journeys can attest to. So when we are, are, in, are in relationships with other people, we shouldn't be so quick to be prideful. We shouldn't be so quick to believe that we can only teach. Because the truth of the matter is, in every interaction that we have with others, we have something to learn. And we have something to learn about God. There are many different journeys that people take with God. And we believe that as Christians that the Holy Spirit inspires people in different ways. So as Christians, we need to embrace the journeys that other people are on. I was in Boston this, uh, a couple weeks ago for spring break. And I was working at a, a Christian academy um, as a chaplain and as their Bible teacher for a week uh, on an internship. And I was with a, a sophomore class and we were... We were reading different parts of scripture, and I, I had them break up into five or six different small groups, and, and they discussed these, these scriptures. And, and then I asked them to go group by group and say what they felt was at the heart of this passage, what, what God was speaking to them through these words of scripture. And without exception, all six different groups for all the scriptures that we've read came with a new insight to that same passage. And these are our 15 and 16-year-olds that are reading the word afresh, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them in different ways. 
So when we experience different opinions, different perspectives, different ways that God is moving, we shouldn't be so reluctant and so closed-minded to not understand that God is working through others the same way that he's working through us. We'll go back to verse 17 of, the, of Luke chapter 24. They're walking along, and Jesus says to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? In other words, have you been like living under a rock? And I mean, no, I was actually behind one, but sorry. Jesus asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word, uh, deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. It is now the third day since these things took place. And they went on to tell Jesus about how the women had gone early that morning to the empty tomb and, and saw visions of angels that told them that Jesus was alive. But if you notice, when we look at these verses, they're talking out of a place of despair. They're talking out of doubt. The words, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, implies our hopes were shattered. He wasn't. We had these high hopes, these high anticipations for Jesus, and he failed us by dying. What's interesting about these verses is that they let the circumstances shape their view of Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to shape their view of the circumstances. They allowed their circumstances to shape their view of Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to shape their view of their circumstances. And how many times do you and I do the same exact thing. We, we say that we have faith in God, and, and when God answers our prayers, we're quick to say, yes, God. Yes, you are faithful. You are sovereign. You are mighty. But it seems like the minute that we get back into a similar situation, it's like we have short-term memory loss. We totally forget the ways God has shown up for us in the past, and we let this, this minor circumstance shape our view of a mighty God. And that's what these people were doing. And we would be so much better off if we allowed Jesus, his promises, his word, his consistent patterns to shape our view of our circumstances. In verse 25, Jesus says to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter in? To his glory. We have been given promises by God that we can believe in. We have been given these assurances in his word that we can hold on to. And like the disciples on their way to Emmaus, we have been given these, these concepts and these truths that are everlasting to affirm and to believe. And the awesome thing about our God is that he never asks us to believe without evidence. Faith always comes in, in something that is more concrete. Faith comes by, by reading the word of God, by looking at his actions in the past. And as we, as we walk in our relationship with God, we see the ways that he's moved in the past. We see how he has showed up for us before, 
But we can't forget those things because the minute that we forget what God has done in the past, we, we start to doubt what God can do in the present and what he will do in the future. We need to claim the promises that we read in his word, that he is with us always, even unto the end of the world, that, that he has plans for us, plans to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future and not to harm us. But not only, we need to claim, not only do we need to cling to the word, we also need to cling to what he has done for us in the past. And that, becomes, that, that requires a bit of intentionality on our parts. Because many times when we pray... We, we pray in urgency, and when our request gets fulfilled, or, or when, when something happens that, that we should be seeing God, we're so fixed on the results that we forget the person or the God that is in charge of them. And this, this has become a cycle in my life. I can, I can testify to this time and time again, where I pleaded with God for something. Whether it be finances to make it through, to make a car payment, to pay insurance. Whether it be to find a, a job that I can make ends meet with. Whether it be to direct me to people who can, who can be edifying in, in, in my walk. And it's like I, I pray for these things and then I, I get so distracted by these positive results that I forget to give thanks to the God that gave them. And when we do this, we, we, we don't develop the trust relationship with God that we should. We become so asphyxiated on our, our circumstances that we forget the God that is in charge of them. So for us as Christians, we need to be intentional about our prayer life, but also intentional to give credit to God for the good things that happen in our lives. And that will develop this faith and trust relationship with him. Verse 28, as they came near to the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Our God is a God that is on the move. Our God is a God that has this vision in mind of the redemption of the world. He left his place on his throne in heaven to be born in a humble manger in Bethlehem. And then he was on this earth he continued to move forward through the streets of Jerusalem, healing people who were blind, uh, giving hope to, to the people who had been caught in their lives of sin. He traveled and he moved up Gethsemane, up Golgotha, to, to, to the cross that bore our shame, and he moved to the tomb. And when he was risen, he continued to move. And what I want to, to, to bring forth today is that our God is is on the move even today. God continues to live, to breathe, to move, and to walk among us. God has given us the promise that he is going to redeem the world. But God is not a stagnant God. And the amazing, the amazing thing, the opportunity that we have as a church is when we see Jesus on the move, is to say, Jesus, come in. We want to invite you into this place because you know, we know that you desire our participation. We know that you are a gracious God who wants to work in us and through us. God is on the move, and he has made clear that he wants to move through us. But as a church, as a body, as a congregation, we can't get so caught up in our ways that we miss Jesus as he walks by. We need to constantly 
intentionally invite Jesus into our midst as believers, as a church, as a congregation, so that we can continue to move with God for the redemption of this world. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and they vanished, or he vanished from their sight. Isn't it the case that, that too often in our lives, we only recognize Jesus in retrospect? We only recognize the presence of God as we look back on our life and say, you know what? Yeah, God was there. Yeah, I may have got laid off in, from that promotion. I may, it may not have gone the way that I had planned, but seeing where I am now, I can see how God has led me here. So many times we, 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 we walk into this pattern of only recognizing Jesus in our past experiences. How much more meaningful would our lives be if we learned to recognize Jesus on a daily basis? If we learned to look for Jesus and recognize his face in every single experience, in every single interaction, if we could learn to recognize the constant embrace of Jesus so that when we cry, we see a picture of a Savior wiping our tears and crying with us. When we rejoice, we see a God that is right there beside us giving us high fives. God has promised that he would never leave or forsake us. Why do we only look for God in the past? Why can't we begin to see a God that promises to be with us every day? How much more meaningful, how much more hopeful and, and graceful would our lives be if we could learn to trust the God that says, I am by your side every single step of the way. So after they recognized Jesus and he, he vanished, the two disciples got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11, the 11 disciples and those with them assembled together. And they said, it is true, the Lord has risen. Forget what we said before. Forget the journey that we took. We know we went away, but guess what? We found Jesus. He's real. This is a reminder to us today that the testimonies of others are powerful, but at the end of the day, we have to have our own experience and our own relationship with Jesus. We can't rely solely on the experiences of others when it comes to God because that's not what builds our faith. Our faith is edified and built by, built by this one-on-one -on -one experience with Jesus. See, there are, there are two dimensions of our walk with God. There's, there's the walk that we have in our church, which says, you know what, this is our collective, our collective struggle. We want to grow together in grace. We want to find God together. I got your back. You got my back. We're in this together. But there's also the personal aspect of our walk with God, our prayer life, our devotional life, the times where we say, you know what, God, I recognize in faith that you are with me here and now. And when we, when we walk, when we take that step of faith, that's when we begin to have those experiences with God that we can fall back on in times of trouble. That's when we begin to recognize God in our circumstances. And that is when we have the kind of experience with God that motivates us to go back to our, to our families, to our friends, and say, guess what? All this talk about Jesus, guess what? It's real. I know that I've lived a life that is, has maybe suggested otherwise. I know that I've gone my own way. But I was here last night, and I saw Jesus do this. 
And it's when we do that that our lives become fulfilled. It's when we do that that we recognize a God that is with us always. And when, when we have that experience, we share it with others. And when others have that experience, they share it with us. And it becomes this community of people who have this, this passionate individual relationship with God, and they give that back to a church that is seeking that as well. And when that happens, we become a, a body of Christ. We become a individuals that align our wills to the unity that happens in Christ. And, and when we do that, when we bring our individual experiences to this overall body of Christ, that's when the church functions. That's when the body of Christ begins to live and breathe and move today. But it starts with our individual walks with God. This will be the verse that we conclude on. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Jesus came back and made himself known. After they had made that, that initiative that, you know what, we want to show that we have faith, Jesus said, by the way, I'm, I've, I've always been here. And that's the same reminder that we have today. So my, my concluding call to all of us, myself included, is that when we walk this week, as we go our separate ways, that we would recognize Jesus in our lives. Recognize Jesus in the highs. Recognize his presence in the lows. Receive his embrace and walk with him this week.